You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. But this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn. We're in Genesis, uh, the, the very end of Genesis 11, going into um, chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible this morning, um, we have Bibles we'd love to give you. So don't, don't leave here without being like, oh, I'll get it next week. If you're anything like me, that won't happen. So um, be sure you, you grab a Bible. We just want to get Bibles into people's hands who don't have them. But we, we are in Genesis 11 and uh, continuing our walk through the book of Genesis. That's what we do here at Anthem Church. If you're new, we just we take one book of the Bible typically, and we just walk through it week by week, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And as we as we are going through the book of Genesis, what we're looking at is we're looking at God. I, I mean, it might be like, oh yeah, we're in, in church in the Bible. That's a no brainer. But but we've we've entitled this sermon series introducing God. And as we go through the book of Genesis, what we're doing is we're just, we're just looking at who God is because God is the main character in this story. It's not you. It's not me. It is God. And so each week as we go through different chapters, we get to see just little, uh, just different nuances of who God is through this narrative that is the book of Genesis. And this week, the big idea, the thing, I'm going to give it to you right out the gate, the thing that I want you to walk away with this morning is the reality that God desires to be the God of imperfect people. Okay, if you're taking notes, I know that's simple, but, but here it is. God desires, as, as we think about what we see about God as, as, we, as we are introduced to God this morning, as we look at this really pivotal, pivotal that's a really hard word to say, pivotal uh, place in the narrative, what I want you to walk away with is that God desires to be the God of imperfect people. And it's interesting, as I was going through this, this passage this past week, the tension I feel in this passage and the tension I feel as I've been preaching through this message, uh, even as it's been being preached to me, by, by what I see in Scripture, is that oftentimes I feel as though blessings should be a result of my own actions. Do you guys feel that? Like, like, and, and, the, and the flip side I feel like should be true too, where if I don't do something right, then I shouldn't, I shouldn't get blessed. It should, be, it should be this thing where it's like I do this, I get this. Right and and it's I don't know I don't I think the the Christian way to say that like the if I wanted to dress it up it's like I have a strong sense of justice because that makes me sound better <laughs> and it makes me feel better but but the reality is like I have this idea like this this strong sense like with my kids I was thinking about it this past week it kind of comes out like my kids we we have them do chores and if they do their chores and they get allowance and. And, and when they don't do their chores, they don't get their allowance. But, but for me and my wife, she's uh, awesome, and she's a counselor, and she's helping me think through these things. Um, because I, if, if my kids don't do their chores, I don't want them to just not get paid. I want them to feel it. You know, like even, even when I was talking to my wife about it, it's like my whole demeanor changes when I, like I start to grip my teeth. I'm like, I just want them to, I want them to feel it. Because, you know, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, then, like, I, I just, you know, it's like, uh, and it's, it's crazy because, like, that is, that goes into my Christian life. Like, oftentimes, my Bible reading, my time in prayer, my generosity, oftentimes those things, if I'm honest with myself, those are attempts to gain favor with God. And, and I know that's true because the opposite is true. 
Like if, if, I, if my Bible time isn't on par, you know, whatever that means, if my, if my prayer time doesn't feel like what it's supposed to, or, or if all these different things aren't happening, then I wonder, like, God, are, are you and I okay? And so when it, it's, it's, like a, it's like plucking a daisy, maybe when you were younger, it's like, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. It's this, it's this idea that, like, if I do what I'm supposed to do, then God will do what he's supposed to do. And oftentimes, I, I think that this is something that we all kind of feel, if, if I could say that, if I could impose that on you, because lots of times we come to God with this idea that I have to dress myself up, like I have to get myself better before I come to God, right? I was talking to a friend of mine here recently, uh, just over Facebook, and he, he, he was a guy that I haven't seen for a long time, and he messages me, and he's like, hey, Luke, I just want you to know that I want to get myself right with God again. I want to get right with God again. And I just messaged him back. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Praise God. I'm curious about what that means. I'm curious about what you mean by I got to get myself right with God because lots of times I know what it means. It means like I was listening to a guy preach, and he was saying that oftentimes when we come to God, it's like we're, we're getting ready for a job interview, right? You, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, like when you get ready for a job interview, like you shower, which... I mean, maybe that's not unique to you, but it's like you shower, you remember deodorant. Maybe, maybe you go out and you, you get new clothes because you're like, I can't be seen in this. And, and so you, you put on your nicest clothes and you dress up your resume and you come to that job interview with a list of, of things of why you should be accepted. Right? You come with, you come with a list of like, this is, this is why I'm okay for this job or, or why you need me. And we come to church with this mentality that says that it's like that, that job interview. And yet what we see throughout scripture is not, it's not the waiting room for a job interview. When we see these main characters in scripture, it's more like the waiting room for a doctor's office. Right? That's, that's a lot different than, like, if you, if you have to, I, I don't go to the doctor because I'm a man. But uh, sometimes, like, when I have, I'm kidding. But sometimes when, when it's like, okay, I need to go to the doctor, it's like, I am about to die. Right? And, and I don't dress myself up, even if I haven't showered in weeks, which I don't know why, like, you know, whatever. You don't shower before you go to the doctor, right? If, like, I, I could just look like a mess, but I don't try and clean myself up when I go to the doctor, and people don't do that. You know why? Because they know if they're going to the doctor, there's something else wrong with them than just their appearance. And what we see in Scripture especially in Genesis 12, we see a God who desires to reveal himself to people. We see a God who desires to reveal himself not because of the righteousness of the receiver. We see a God who wants to bless people not because they are righteous or because they are good or because they have dressed themselves up, but because God is good. And he has a plan, and he is moving, and he is doing something. And so what I want you to understand this morning as we go through Genesis 12, what I want you to understand is God desires to be the God of imperfect people, and that is good news this morning. So let's, let's go ahead and start reading Genesis chapter 11, just the very end, starting verse 27. It says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. 
Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's stop there. Would you just pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your word. I praise you that as we, as we look into your word, we just get to, we get to be introduced to you. So, God, I pray that you would give me clarity of mind this morning and give, give everybody in here just a clear, a clear heart to receive what you would have us hear. And it's in your name. Amen. Now, as we, as we, look, at this, as we look at this passage, this, this is a, it's an it's a incredibly important part in the narrative, narrative of Scripture. We see, we see up to this point, kind of the, the author here is looking at, at the world, at mankind, and yet we see over and over again, and I don't want to re-preach what we've already preached. If this is your first Sunday, go online, listen to the messages, kind of fill in the blanks. But we see over and over again, people just keep messing things up. And yet God continues to pursue, and God continues to, to, to keep going because there's, there's a promise that, that he is going to set things right. And now in Genesis 11 and 12, we see how that plan is going to take shape because God speaks and it's interesting to me that, that uh, the last time we see this, the last time we see God speaking was when Noah gets off the boat, he builds an altar, and, and God speaks. And he reaffirms his calling to Noah and his reaffirm, uh, reaffirms his calling to mankind. And he says, go, spread out. He gives them a, a purpose and a place and a people, and he, he tells them to spread out, and he's going to be their God, and they're going to do all these things. And yet mankind just continually gets it wrong. And yet... Here we see God speaks to Abram, and it has been from, from the last time we see God speaking to this time, it's been about 650 to 700 years. That's a long time, right? That's, that's a long time. Anytime, I, I, I have a very simple mind sometimes. Anytime I read, like, dates in the Bible, I have to always think back, okay, how long has America been a nation? 240? Okay, 650 is a long time, Right? It always puts it in this context for me. But, but we see after all this time, God speaks, and he speaks to a name, man named Abram. And I'm going to warn you right now, later on in the narrative, his name gets changed to Abraham. Spoiler alert, if you didn't know that, I just ruined it for you. And I, every time I just talk through this, I use his name interchangeably. So if you're like, who's this Abraham and Abram? The same person. So if I do that, just be aware. But we see God speaking to Abram. And the question is, why Abram? I don't know if that's you, but for me, it's like, okay, what about this guy? And yet the reality is we don't know a whole lot about Abram before God speaks to him. Like when, when God spoke to Noah, we know that Noah was righteous in his age. We know that Noah walked with God. We know all these things about Noah. But when it comes to Abram, what we know is that just the end of 11. We know that his dad was, was this guy named Terah. And, and we know that he had two brothers, and one of the brothers dies, and, and he has Lot. And we, we know these different things, and we know that Terah, for some reason, decides to leave his homeland, and he's gonna, he has a sight set on Canaan. 
which we know that Canaan is the promised land. It's the land that God is going to give to Abram, and it's, it's the land that he's going to give to his descendants, the Israelites. And yet as Terah takes his family and he has a sight set on the promised land of Israel, of Canaan, he stops short. Do we have that picture up there? I, I was thinking about this the other day as, as we were looking at this. Like, like if you've ever heard of the Fertile Crescent, and this is kind of like that green spot is kind of the Fertile Crescent. And right here is, is where, where we think that Ur might have been. Here's Canaan, and yet there's this big desert in between. Here is Haran. You see that? And so, so Terah and his family have their sights set on Canaan, and yet where do they settle? It's a trick question. It's at the top of the map, right? It, it's Haran, right? They settle, they settle here. And now, the reason I think this is so interesting is because when you, when you look at Scripture, sometimes we read it through our cultural lens, through our cultural context, and yet when we read it in the cultural lens of this day, you see, the reality is, is whoever you were, who Abram was, we can know who Abram was because of who his family was. And we know that Terah, even though he had a sight set on Canaan, he settled in Haran, which was, which was a, a, a huge place for like moon worship, idolatry, all these different things. And it says that even though he had a sight set on Canaan, he settled and then he died. What we know about Abram is that his family lineage, he is from a family of people who fall short. He's from a family of people, even though they have their eyes set on this promised land, even though they have the best of intentions, they fall short. That's who Abram is. You see, in this cultural context, who you are is who your family was. Your cultural identity, your name. Have you ever wondered why, I mean, you read through Scripture and it talks about they named him this because this is what their name means. Like, for, for those of us today, I think most of our names today are just made up, right? Like, it's like... Whatever you were eating the day that you had your child, that's the name of your child. Like sometimes, right? Sometimes it's like, oh, what does that name mean? I, I don't know, chicken kung pao? Like I don't, I don't know what it means. It just means something. And yet in this day and age, your name meant everything. Your family lineage meant everything. And his family was one of, of, of people who fell short. What else do we know about Abram? We know that he has a wife named Sarai. And what do we know about Sarai? We know that she was barren, right? It says in, in verse, uh, verse 30 of chapter 11, now Sarai was barren. She had no child. See, the, the idea of being barren, it literally meant hopeless. It meant without hope. And, and then it's, it's interesting because the author, it's like they want to clarify. They're like, hey, just so you know what I mean by barren, she had no child. It's like, okay, we get it. Okay. It's like my kids yesterday, I was in the van driving with them, and, and Lena was in the front, she, front seat, and I was talking to her. She's like, oh, Dad, your breast stinks. I'm like, okay, that's really nice. And she's like, no, I mean, it's, and she rolls down the window, and she, like, h- hangs her head out. I'm like, I know I'm a dad, but I have feelings, right? It's, it's like this, this idea the author's like, she was barren. She was hopeless. She had no child. Do you get it? She had no child. See, the idea was that, that your children, not only was your family lineage, not only did that identify you, but your children, that, that was your hope for the future. There was no retirement plan. The idea was that if you had a lot of kids, then you were going to be set up for your old age. If you didn't, you were as good as dead. And so what we see here is we see a man 
who was from a family of people who, who fell short, a man who, who had no hope for a future. And yet into that reality, into Abram's reality, God speaks. Isn't that beautiful? Into the reality, in the midst of his family background, in the midst of this idea of falling short, God speaks. In the midst of his, of his wife's barrenness and hopelessness and lack of child, God speaks. In the midst of Abram's broken dreams and, and dashed hopes for a future, God speaks. And he, he speaks and he says, Abram, I'm going to do something in the midst of your reality. In the midst of where you are, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your family background, in the midst of all those different things, in the midst of who you think you are and what your future, what you think it might look like, I'm going to do something. And what do we see Abram, uh, God do? He, we see that he gives him this threefold blessing. God, God interjects. God sets it up. God seeks out Abram. And he says this, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. First of all, he says, look, Abram, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. He says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to give you a people. I'm going to give you purpose. In the midst of your background, in the midst of your family, in the midst of your, your dashed hopes and dreams, I'm going to give you all of these things, Abram. I'm going to identify these things. I, I'm going to give you a, a place and a people and a purpose. And, and, and I think that this is such a beautiful thing, partially because when, when Stan talked about the, the Tower of Babel last week, we know that this, this desire for a place and a people and a purpose, it was the same desire that the people of Babel had, and that's why they, they built this tower. In, in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 4, it says this, then they said, meaning the people, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we disperse over the face of the whole earth. They're saying, we, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to have hopes for a future. We want to be known. We want to be secure. We want, we want to have all these different things. And the beautiful thing about that is that God says, Abram, I want those things for you, but will you let me define what that means? I want, to, I want to give you a place. I'm going to give you people. I'm going to give you purpose. But let me define what that means. Because when we define that, our lives go off the rails real fast, don't they? I remember, I remember being when I was a pastor up north, and a friend of mine, his wife, decided to leave him. And it was such a, just a gut-wrenching time because they had a beautiful family. We were pretty close to them. They had two little kids. And from the outside, everything looked great. And yet what she decided was she had never had the, like, wild time in her life. She had never been able to experience life. And so she said, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to leave what I have because there's, there's better stuff out there. And she defined what the blessing was going to be for her. And what it led her to was, was destruction and brokenness and, and a legacy of brokenness. See, when we define what our blessings are all going to be about, when we define it, what we get is more brokenness. And yet God speaks into Abram and he, he interjects and he comes in and he says, I want to give you these things. I want to bless you. And not only that, but the second thing we see there is he says, I'm going to make you a blessing. 
Isn't that awesome? He says in, in uh, verse 2, he says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, so that the people around him, so that Sarai and Lot and, and all the people with him would be blessed, so that his neighbors would be blessed, so that the people at the convenience store would be blessed by Abram. So I don't know where Abram was going, but he's like, Abram, I'm going to bless you, and so therefore the people around you are going to be blessed. Not only that, but the third thing, he says, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a channel of blessing. Not only are people going to just get blessed by you, like, like Shamu at, at uh, Oceans of Fun, where it's like you sit in that one spot, and you're in the splash zone, and it's like, oh, just being around Shamu, I get wet, right? No? Okay. <laughs> I know that's an older reference. But, but he, he says, not only that, but you're going to be a channel of blessing, that when I bless you, you're... I, what I'm doing is I'm going to show the nations. See, this is God's plan to bring about the, the one who's going to crush the serpent that we learned about in Genesis 3. This is God's plan to, to show himself to the world. is to choose one family and bless the socks off of them for a purpose. So that they would be a blessing. One commentator uh, says it this way. I loved how he put it. I don't think it's up on your screen. But he said, um, whoop, I missed it, sorry. Uh, he says this, the law was given through them. Now, he's talking about the Israelites, the descendants of Abram. He says, the law was given through them. The prophets were from among their number. Scripture was written by them. And the, their history became a public record of God's attributes in action. See, we, we get all that we have because God decided to bless Abram, and the blessing of Abram had a purpose. Now, now why, am I, why am I saying all this? What, it, what does that mean? I, I want to pause real quick, time out in the narrative, because I don't want us to miss the implications that are here for each and every one of us. In, in Galatians 3.9, Paul says it this way. He makes this connection. It says, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We, we see in Scripture that, that we are children of Abraham if we are children of God. And we see here that if we are children of Abraham, if we are children of God, then we are blessed along with Abraham. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Let's clarify this just a little bit. Abraham was blessed, Right? Not because of anything that he did, not because of how, how perfect he was, but he was blessed because of God's goodness to him. And yet we see that his blessing, God's blessing to Abram, Abram had a purpose. Now Paul says that we, if we are children of God, are blessed along with Abraham. So therefore, I wanted to pause just a few seconds to see if you could connect the dots. Therefore, our blessing has a purpose. You see that? Our blessing has a purpose. It's like, I think I've used this illustration before, but it's like a relay race. I used to run the 4 by 8 and uh, my son Jackson, he was just in the, uh, a couple relays last week. It was super fun to watch him. But in a relay race, you get the idea, right? You're, you're there, and it's like your blood's pumping, and you're waiting for that baton to come to you because the purpose is to get the baton all around the track, right, to get it to the finish line. And you're, you're waiting, and you're there, and they hit that mark, and you're, you're running, and they put that baton in your hand, and you just take off running. Well, what if, what if you get it, and it's like, Woo! All right! Way to go, team! I got the baton! And then you go eat Doritos because that's what you do at a track meet and drink Gatorade like you did something. 
The purpose wasn't just to get the baton. The purpose isn't just to be blessed. The purpose is to pass that along, right? Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that say? What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, if you have experienced the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, if you are new, a new creation, if you are a new creature, then your blessing has a purpose. Your blessing has a purpose for those around you. You have the ministry of reconciliation if you have been reconciled to God. Do you see that? We have a purpose. Amen? We, we have this purpose, and yet oftentimes our expression of Christianity looks more like a child's soccer game than it does like a, a fulfilled relay race, right? You know what I'm talking about? If you've ever seen kids play soccer, it's maddening because their whole goal is just to kick the ball. And so you just have this cluster of kids running around wherever the ball is, right? And it's just like, I got to kick it, I got to kick it, I got to kick it. But the purpose is get it in the goal. You know, I'm one of those dads. It's like, I'm actually keeping score when they're like, oh no, everybody wins. It's like, well, actually not you, right? <laughs> like that's, I'm one of those dads. You see, the pur- there's a purpose to our blessing. And God, God tells Abram, he says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing so that people will see what it looks like to be blessed by me. There's, there's a purpose to our blessing. If, if you read on there, it, it's interesting. I don't want us to miss the fact that the, the calling of God does come with a price. It comes with a price tag. There, there needs to be a response. He, he says in verse 1, just going back to that, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. He says, Go from these things. Go from your country. Go from the place that you are, that you are comfortable in. Go from your, your kindred, which means the people that you are comfortable with. Go from your father's house, which, which really means like your, your inheritance, the things that you're counting on for your future, the things that you think are going to fulfill you. He says, go from these things. But it's so beautiful that everything God asks Abraham to give up, he says, but I'm going to give you something else. Go from your country. I'm going to give you a land. Go from your kindred, I'm going to make you a nation. Go from your father's house, I'm going to bless you. The people who bless you, I'm going to bless them. And anybody who curses you, I got your back. Like, I, I got all these things. But you have to let go of these things. There has to be a response. It, it reminds me of, like, uh, if you've ever rock climbed before. Like, I, I love rock climbing. Super fun. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not one of those guys that's, like, you know, like, real rock climbers that do it by themselves. That just, that's just crazy. That's dumb. But, uh, like, I'm one of those guys that, you know, you put the harness on, a belay on, belay on, you know, like, whatever. And, and you, you go up the wall. And then, but there's always that point where, like, if you hit the top, there's always that point that's like, well, now what? 
right? You're at the top, and if you've ever been in that situation, you're at the top, and your fingers are kind of starting to cramp, and your forearms, especially as the older I get, like my forearms are just like, I can't hold on any longer. But there's nowhere else to go, right? I've gone to the end of this thing. There is nowhere else to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel like I'm about to fall, and yet if I fall, then is that person really going to hold me? Because, you know, the rope is going down to them and they're holding. And lots of times people are like, let go. It's like, no, you let go. No, don't. You know, it's like you're holding on. And yet there's always that moment when it's like, okay, okay. And then you let go. There's always that moment of fear, isn't there? There's always that moment of fear where you let go of the, this, this idea of security that you have. To see if God is really going to hold on to you. To see if God is really going to be there. There's always that moment where it's like, well, well, I have to talk like this. I have to engage in gossip or, or I won't be accepted in my workplace. I have, to, I have to seek out relationships in this way or I'm going to end up alone. I have to give myself to this relationship in this way or this person's not going to love me. I won't be loved. Or I have to say these things that maybe they're not technically true on my taxes, but I have to do that or I won't, I won't have a future. I won't have security. I won't, I won't be able to make a living. I have to do those things. And yet what we see here is God saying, hey, will you let go of that, that security that you're trying to hold on to and just see if I, am, if I am God, just see if I will hold you. Just see if I will bless you. And I love where it says in verse 4, So Abram went. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And he, he takes Lot and he takes Sarai and, and he goes around. And it's, it's so awesome to see Abram says, okay. And he lets go and God holds Abram. God is faithful to Abram. We're not going to read it, but verse 6 through, through 9, we see that Abram goes around this country, and he goes to the different places, and God reaffirms the calling. He says, Abram, this is the land that I'm talking about. This is the place I'm going to give to you. But then it says the Canaanites were still in the land. The land wasn't his. And I, I love the reality that, that Abram's reality didn't change in that moment. The moment that he let go, Sarai was still barren. She was still without child. As he goes through this land, the Canaanites were still in the land. The land wasn't his, even though God had promised it. Like, his reality didn't change, and yet it seems as though what he does in that moment is he lives in light of the promises of God, not his current situation. He, he goes around, and he's building altars in different places, and he's just worshiping God because he's like, this is my land. And the Canaanites are like, what are you talking about, right? He's like, God's going to give me a people. And his wife's like, I, I mean, nothing's happening. Like, but, but there's all this thing that he has his heart set and his focus set on the goodness of God, not the reality of his current situation. Man, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? And yet we see Abram walking in this life that is characterized by worship because he trusts that God is good. And then we go on. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. Whoa, what? That, I mean, that changed quick, right? Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, let's just stop there real quick. When, when this talks about a famine, this isn't just like, this isn't just hy stop 
stops carrying your favorite Doritos, right? This isn't, this isn't like one of the, like one commentary I was reading talks about during this time period, there was a recorded famine of 300 years. I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? That, that goes beyond like Pepsi stopped making Pepsi one or whatever, you know, like this is, this is intense. And yet in the midst of the promised land, there was famine. So there were, this was a real problem. This is a real situation. This isn't just like, oh, let go and let God. This isn't, we can't, I don't think we can bandage over this with just cliche Christian sayings. This is real hurt, real frustration, real confusion. And yet we, we read on. Verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. Which that's nice, right? I mean, wouldn't you ladies like to hear your husband saying, hey, girl, you are Man, you're good looking, right? And, verse 12, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, so he was right. I mean, how, how good looking must Sarah have been, right? I mean, how good looking, what, I mean, it's like, Abram's like, you're going to get me killed. You, can you just ugly it up just a little bit? Like, let's, let's do something. Like, maybe wear a potato sack or, like, you're going to get me killed. But he goes in, and the Egyptians are like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, they, they see her coming. And it says uh, uh, in verse 15, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. All right, let's just stop there. Can we just... <laughs> it's, it's, it's so interesting to me. As we read the stories of Scripture, we just read through the really weird parts like, because we know what's going to happen. But in this story, like, we see there is famine in the land of promise. Like, we don't know why God allowed that to happen. And yet what we see is Abram decides, it seems as though Abram says, I need to take the wheel on this. I need to figure out a plan. I need to do this. So he leaves the land of promise. He goes to Egypt, which Egypt was this place that kind of was untouched by famine because of the Nile and because it was just in this fertile place. And so he's like, okay, I see that there's food there. So I don't know what's happening in this promised land. I don't know what God is doing here. But I got to take the wheel I got to go do this thing. I got I to go fix this. And yet when he goes into it, he's like, okay, here's another problem. He says, I don't know if I trust God's security. I don't know if I trust the fact that God says he's going to make me a nation. I don't know if I trust the fact that God says he's going to make my name great, that he's going to bless those who bless me and curse those. I don't know. So, so I, need to, I need to take this into my own hands. And what he does is he looks at the blessings of God through the lens of his problem, through the lens of his famine, through the lens of, of his insecurities. And he makes determinations about the promise, and he makes determinations about God that are untrue but are warped because of his current situation. Right? It's the same thing like, that we see in... In Mark chapter 4, where the, the disciples are in the boat with Jesus, and, and the storm comes up, and it says that the, the boat is about to be, to be swamped by the storm, and Jesus is asleep in the midst of the storm. Jesus is asleep in the midst of the storm, and I love what the disciples say. They wake Jesus up, and they say, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you even care about my situation? Don't you even care that we're about to drown? What were they doing? 
They were making determinations about Jesus because of their current situation, weren't they? They were looking at the storm. They were looking at the famine. They were looking at the problem, and they were saying, well, this must be what God's like because here's my current situation. We do that all the time, don't we? It, it, it reminds me of, like, my, my son and I, we went down to Orlando for his 13th birthday, and we went through Ripley's Believe It or Not, which is a cool place, but, you know, it's cool. But there, there's this part in Ripley's where it's like there's this tunnel that you walk through, and, I mean, the, the, the thing you walk through, I mean, the, the ground, it's firm ground, but the whole tunnel is spinning. Have you ever been in one of these? And it's spinning, and there's strobe lights going, and it is just like, it just destroys your mind because you're walking through it. And even though the ground isn't moving, I felt like, like there were, praise God, there were guardrails. Because like I was walking through the whole thing just like, like just pulling myself along. Like if the guardrail wasn't there, I would have been off. Do you know why? Like did the ground move? No, one person. You're, you're paying attention. The ground didn't move, but everything around me was. And what happened was I got my eyes on all this stuff around me, and I made determinations about the ground that I was walking on, and I began to question, is this thing firm? Is this solid? I don't think so because I'm about to fall off. And yet what we see here is in the midst of, of, of what Abram just knew. He just knew that the Egyptians were going to kill him. He just knew that this is the way things were going to go. He just knew all this stuff was going to happen. And yet in the midst of his unfaithfulness, God was still faithful. If, if you read on verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? A good question, right? And then why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. See, God was still faithful in the midst of Abram's unfaithfulness, and that doesn't seem fair to me. Because I look at Abram, and I see things that I would say, man, I cannot believe, I cannot believe he would do that. I can't believe he would, he would be so insecure and that he would lie about his wife and he'd be so, so focused on all these other things that he would do this. And yet oftentimes what we do is we look around and we see people and we see their lives and we make the same judgments, don't we? So I can't believe they would do that. I can't, I can't believe that, that somebody would lie about themselves to make themselves look a little bit better. I can't believe that, that someone would would have an affair just because they're unhappy in their marriage. I cannot believe that somebody would hook up with somebody that they don't even know just because they're lonely and they want to feel some connection. I can't believe that someone would give up their unborn child and have an abortion just because they're scared about what might happen to their future. I can't believe that. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, not only do we look around and we make those judgment calls, but if we were to look in here, even if we look like we're ready for a job interview this morning, I bet there's things in you that if, if people knew them, you might get that said about you, right? Because even if you look great, you know that maybe you're even in one of those lists that I just read off. That as I said that, you were like, oh, man, that's me. And if everybody knew that, they would say, I can't believe I can't believe you. I can't believe you would do that. And see, this morning, what I want us to know, what I want us to understand is that the message for you and for me 
is that God desires to be the God of imperfect people. Because if you are in here this morning and you're like, I know me, I know me, and even though I look good, even though I have this resume, people would say, I can't believe that about me. And if you're in that place, then you're in good company because the message of Jesus to you this morning is found in Matthew 11, 28 through 29. And Jesus says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Are you broken this morning? Are you sick? Are you hurting? Do you realize that you have some things in you that's like, this is not good? If that's you this morning, you're in good company because God desires to be the God of imperfect people. The call for you this morning that I would, that I would desire for you to respond to is for you to let go of whatever supposed thing that you're holding on to, that thing that gives you supposed security. Let go of it and, and find a God who desires to be your God, who desires to bless you with purpose and people and a place. He, he desires to be your God this morning. And for those of us in here that maybe you've experienced that, Maybe you've experienced God and you are a new creation and yet you are guilty as I am of looking around and saying, I can't believe that. I can't believe that person would do that. I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe all those different things. Maybe our question should stop being, how could they do that? How could that be the case? Maybe our question should start being, how does God want me to bless that person? Because if you have been blessed by God, if, you have the, if you've been reconciled to God, then we have the ministry of reconciliation. And I got so excited as I was thinking through this passage this past week because I kept thinking, what if, Anthem Church, what if we all got in on this? What if we began to see people around us in this way? What if, what if over 200 people got together and they were like, man, I am a conduit of blessing that when I see people around me, I don't ask, well, how could they do that? But I ask, how can I be a blessing to them? Because God wants to be the God of imperfect people. And if I'm in contact with them, then God wants to bless them through me. If we begin to see people in that way, what would happen? And immediate, I got excited and immediately convicted. <laughs> because if that's going to happen, then we have to change the way we view not only our blessings, but the people around us. Amen? So this morning, my question for you is maybe you need to let go of those things that you're just clinging to. And find salvation in Jesus Christ. Find hope for your souls. But Anthem, let's be a people who walk in our blessing and see us as a channel of blessing. Because why? Because God wants to be the God of imperfect people. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. God, I praise you that, that you... God, Abram didn't do anything to deserve what you gave to him. Abram didn't do anything to deserve the blessings that you gave to him, and yet you are good and you blessed him because you have a plan and you have a purpose. And God, I praise you that you have a plan and a purpose for us here this morning, that you have a plan and a purpose for every single person in this place, and you have a plan and a purpose for every person here in Columbia. And God, I praise you that because we have been blessed, that we have a purpose. I pray that you would help us to walk in that blessing. Walk with that purpose, God. Help us to see the people around us as not people that we would ask, how could they do that? But we would ask, how can I bless them? It's in your name. Amen.